like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick. And currently, I'm looking at the stories of 1963. And in particular, today, I'm going to look at two stories. I know normally my format is to look at just one story. But in this case, I'm going to look at these two stories together because they were published one month apart in the same magazine. Uh, They were both published in... uh, Sorry, it's my mind. Amazing. They were both published in Amazing in, it was October, November of 1963. And they basically are one story. So they they're just broken up. In fact, this, in a different world, in a different level of the tower, could have easily been a, a novel that Dick wrote. He never really formed into one. Like some of the character names survived into another novel. But essentially, this... This just appears in these two two stories, but they do form the core of what could have been a, an interesting novel, um, and another one that could have been it could have been added to his his many novels of the 1960s. So these two stories are called Standby, and that's the first one we'll look at, and then the second one's called What Are What Do We Do with with Raglan Park? Um, so I don't know. Let's let's just jump into it and see what these stories have for us. Um, as I said, there were, the first one, Standby, was published in Amazing in October of 1963. So our one of our main characters is Jim Briskin. This is the character whose name appears later on in the Kraken space as, as the president in that story. But here he's a completely different character, um, a news broadcaster. And this is, these are actually interesting because this, along with the story we're going to look at in the next episode, um, if there was no Benny... Timoldi are about media in a way so it's, it's something you think Dick would have written more explicitly about because he was so f- much so fond of this idea of things being media events of not being real especially in things like the penultimate truth but you know it's, it's not often he had like media characters I, I think the last time he had a, a story really about the media ex- directly was um Maybe the man who japed. You might have to go all the way back to the man who japed to see a story in which the main character really is a media personality. In that case, it was a propaganda, uh, someone who worked for the propaganda agency of a government. But anyways, Jim Briskin is is a much more mundane um, character in a sense as a news broadcaster. In a sense, you, you get the same shift from his early work where he's much more grandiose and looking at people in the top of governments to looking at like the middle management types and the, the bureaucrats and the, the corporate stooges um so brings jim briskin's one of those he receives reports from the president unicephalon 40d that an alien flotilla is 800 astronomical units away from earth and it's arriving so with this secretary he discusses how to soften this horrifying report to the public he finds his answer is in another report on the death of a man named old gus Stott, a sub-president and basically, he's the a sub-president is someone who handles things if unicephalon breaks down. So unicephalon, as you might guess, is a computer. So this is an idea Dick had had before in Last of the Masters and in Vulcan's Hammer. The, you know, the idea of a government run by 
by a machine or a computer. It actually is, is fairly well developed in this story. I think it, it's actually handled a little bit better than in even Vulcan's Hammer. So in the next character we meet, we, we kind of do go back to the high pillars, of the, the high stations of power, and that's Maximilian Fischer. And he gets news that he's been selected by the Union, which is some government decision-making body, to be the next sub-president. He doesn't really want the job, but the Union threatens his pension, so he heads to the White House. And on his way, a Union official explains, tries to explain what he's going to do as sub-president. Basically, his main job is consists of keeping Unicephalon the computer company. Here's what he says to him. It's a union job, like any other union job. You sit, you stand by. Have you ever been out of work that long that you don't remember? Listen, Fisher. Here wants to know what authority and job entails. I'll tell you what, Fisher. When you're all set up in that White House, when you got your chair and bed and made all the arrangements for meals and laundry and TV viewing time, why don't you ample over to Unicephalon 40D and just sort of whine around there, you know, scratch and whine until he notices you. And then... You say sort of, hey, Unicephalon, listen, I'm your buddy. How about a little I scratch your back and you scratch mine? You pass an ordinance for me. Amuse it. You can tell it the story of his life, how he rose out of poverty and obscurity, educated himself by watching TV seven days a week until finally, guess what? He rose all the way to the top. He got the job of, of standby president. And so that's, that's kind of this working class banter. But he gets this job because he's... He's the standby, right? He's the standby for the president, but he's essentially a glorified repairman who's given this position of authority. And the decision for this comes from from a union, and these characters are, are kind of just union guys. And I'm not sure why the union has this much power over the government, but it does seem that the sub-president is more of just a, a repairman, essentially, for, for Unicephalon. Maximilian Fisher... Um, so as soon as he gets to the White House, he is informed of a scheduled interview with Jim Briskin, the, the media personality. And at the interview, Briskin asks him if he's worried about the weight of the job, about his health and other trivialities, just kind of small chit chat at first. And but before the interview is complete, they're preempted by Unicephalon to report that the flotilla has started attacking the Terran system. And a day later, the alien fleet has disabled Unicephalon, forced Fisher into a position of being actual president of the United States. Fisher begins meeting with his advisors before seeing the public at a press conference. Jim Briskin asks if Fisher can handle the job, because now this is a more serious conversation with Unicephalon broken down, and he's suddenly been put in this position of actually having to make decisions for, for Earth. Fisher threatens Briskin with arrest and the shutdown of his news network for asking difficult questions. Fisher and his advisors discuss plans for a counterattack on the aliens. Meanwhile, Briskin is putting pressure from the outside demanding an election. Since Fisher was not voted in, Briskin himself decides to run for office. Now, the counterattack, his military advisors assert, will be a success. And this is the hope for Fisher to kind of sustain his, his power. His accidental power. Now, before the election, Briskin saturates the network with his programs. Fisher is told that the Briskin is broadcasting from deep in space, so it'll be impossible to shut down this media campaign. Fisher prepares to assassinate Briskin when the time is right. Now, one thing that's not fully explained in the story is why Fisher cares so much. He's been put in this position as sub-president and then president 
but that he fights for this job afterwards is something I'm not fully clear on. You know, and you know, Dick does this a lot actually, where he puts mundane characters in these big positions, and they kind of enter into it willingly without really too much, too much thought. I mean, in Solar Lottery, you had that, but the guy was planning. It was all part of a plan he was engaged in. Anyways, Fisher is trying to defend his position by basically knocking off his opponent. Now, over a faked studio audience, Briskin states his position against Fisher. He accuses Fisher of overreaching his authority when Unicephalon was disabled. Fisher is replacing this homostatic and logical rule of the computer with a personal and self-interested policies. Fisher decides that Briskin is right and decides to step down, but not before assassinating his competitor and choosing a better replacement. But just as he's about to give the order by phone, communications are shut down. Unicephalon, at this point, preempts Briskin's television program to cancel the election. It also orders Briskin to be politically silent in the future, a devastating mandate for a television reporter. Fisher is still standing, is still standby president at the end of the f- at the end of the story, but regrets he did not hold off the unicephalon repairs for longer. He rather enjoyed making decisions. Not on the television, Jim Briskin is back on the air commenting on the FBI despite Unicephalon's gag order. But what we do get a hint at the end of the story about why he liked this so much, why he liked this job, and that's because it was partially a job. He, he says his choice was being a stand-in or unemployment, and so he was doing nothing, so he had really no function. And he, the fact that he gets thrust into this important job of being president is kind of a, a st- outstanding and, and, you know, maybe extreme but at least it was a job it was something to do so it wasn't this, the banalities of just sitting around twiddling his thumbs so in some sense there's a subtext in this in the first half of the story about work and the necessity of work for a meaningful life and this jumps us right into then what do we do with with raglan park so the, as i said this story was published one month after standby and amazing uh in the same year and by the way, both of these stories are in the fourth volume of the Collected Stories, now the Minority Report and other classic stories by, by Philip Dick. Now we have a slightly different character set here. Briskin and Fisher are both in the story, but they're more in the background. And it's sometime after the events of, of Standby and the aftermath of Standby. As, you know, and that story that is really about this this repairman who becomes president, right, and starts to like it and fights for his job and this question of how do we transition from a government run by machinery to a government of, of the people again with elections and the role of the media in pursuing that and pushing that. So when we enter into what do we do with Raglan Park, so we, get, we meet a character named Sebastian Hada who's eating illegally obtained fruit in his Oregon uh, domain. He basically, there's kind of these feudal domains that people live in. Reminiscence a little bit of the game players of Titan, perhaps. He's thinking about how he needs to get Jim Briskin as an announcer for Culture. Now, this is like a his media company, and it, Culture stands for Committee Utilizing Learning Techniques for Urban Renewal Efforts. Unfortunately, President Max Fisher has managed to disable the former computer president, Unicephalon 40D, allowing him to take over as president. He immediately put his rival Briskin in jail. They had previously locked horns when an alien invasion disabled Unicephalon, leaving Fisher the standby president in charge. Hada tells one of his wives that he must try to get Briskin released in order and orders a media onslaught on Briskin's imprisonment. 
So that's the settings. What happened after standby is essentially Max Fisher was able to reassert himself as the president by disabling Unicephalon and then using his power to imprison Briskin. And now this man wants to free Briskin, basically because he wants to hire him for a job, but doing so will require popular protest against the imprisonment of, of this media personality. Haba's therapist Yasumi discusses with Haba the plans to free Briskin and maybe eventually help Briskin to take power. Haba though is coy and tells him that he needs to go to the inter- goes to interview a new banjo artist named Raglan Park. Yasumi warns Haba that Park seems to have some mental illnesses and may be hiding a telepathic ability. Now before his meeting with Park, Haba goes to meet Jim Briskin in a New York federal prison where he's been put. Both Briskin and Fisher had resisted Unicephalon's return to power, but they ended up on opposite sides of this opposition. Fisher disabled the machine somehow, and, and Briskin continued to broadcast. Neither wanted to let go of their newly discovered powers, whether it was political power or through the power of the media to harness electoral power. Haba offers Briskin full autonomy in his broadcast if he takes a job with culture, but Briskin fears the offer because of what happened to Unicephalon and the power of Fisher. Culture is a media empire, but really it covers up for real estate scams. Haba's real goal of his broadcast is his hopes that when people return to Earth from the colonies, they'll fill up these empty cities and he'll be able to profit as essentially a, a glorified real estate agent. And the the setting does actually remind us a lot of the game players of Titan and the fact that you, Earth is kind of emptied and, you know, there you don't have a frontier where people escape to, but uh, that you have in Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, but still this idea of kind of Earth being full of empty cities and not that many people left. Anyways, Haba eventually does meet Raglan Park and they discuss Park's banjo act. Raglan performs some songs for Haba and after a few tunes, it is revealed that Rags, Ragland, really does have some psychic powers. Rags thinks he can read the future as well as read minds. He agrees to work with Haba in his goal to release Briskin. Later on, Fisher, President Fisher, is watching the culture broadcasts and does not miss its constant message that Briskin must be released. So he investigates Haba's um, eight wives, uh, meeting one of them, Zoe, the next day. Zoe is Haba's first wife and seems sympathetic to Fisher and actually is eager to turn against her husband. So in typical Dick fashion, we can't have a royal wife. The wife has to turn her turn on her husband. Yasumiya reveals to Haba that his profile in Raglan Park did not reveal precognition ability, but the psi ability that does seem to be there. Yasumi asks Raglan Park... Um, so, Yasumi thinks maybe there's a connection between the music and precognitive abilities, or maybe even the ability to change the future. So, Yasumi asks Raglan Park to write a song about Jim Briskin being released from jail. Their meeting, though, is a, disrupted by bodyguards who just stopped a bombing attempt by Zoe. Saxton, the bodyguard, wants to go directly after Fisher at this point. Now, Fisher is talking to one of his advisors telling him that he knows that three people are competing, or when three people are competing, eventually two of them will have to get together against the, uh, the third figure. And Fisher suggests that they should release Briskin, and this will help him win the media personality to his side against the upcoming struggle against Haba, which is more important. So basically this is a kind of enemy of your enemies, your friend kind of strategy he embraces. Now meanwhile, Raglan Park performs his song detailing 
Jim Jam Briskin's released from jail to Haba, so he's basically singing this song. And then Haba puts the song out on the air, and Yasumi asks Raglan to set a haiku he wrote to music. And this haiku is about how Briskin will feel gratitude for how his friend got him released. President Briskin, or President Fisher, learns that Briskin has been released, which is exactly what Fisher was planning to do. So the song being sung on television by Raglan Park came true. Fisher realizes that Raglan Park's psi-ability is prophecy, not precognitive knowledge, but actually prophecy. So what he sings comes true. Whatever, you know, he's worried, though, that he might be able to sing about things that will damage his rule more fundamentally, like maybe singing about Unicephalon's return to power. So later, Yasumi reveals the nature of Park's ability to Haba. He warns that if Raglan Park learns about this, he'll eventually become the greater threat. Raglan Park, meanwhile, is wondering what to sing about next. We're right at the end of the story at this point. He is sick of the overdone political ballads he's been working on. He experiments with the song about how Raglan Park is deemed a menace to social order and is shot dead by the police. He decides that this song is the best of the, his career. Immediately after he stings this song, he is shot by some of Fisher's FBI agents. Now, f back in Fisher's office, he does not know how he managed to entrap Park, but he wonders if maybe he... Fisher has a unique sigh ability that makes folk singers compose songs about themselves. But for whatever reason, Raglan Park basically doomed himself by singing a song about his own, his own death. Uh, it shows that Raglan Park didn't seem to understand that his power was the power of prophecy, probably thinking it had more to do with, with precognition. So that's this two-story Stand By Me and What Do We Do With Raglan Park? They, they seem to be two acts of an unfinished novel. Together, it's about 35 pages or so. So maybe, maybe you know, each could have been developed a little bit more. I don't know if Dick was thinking of working with the novel and he didn't know what to do with it or didn't know where to go with it. Um, you know, other times he had this problem. He just kind of threw all these ideas together into a novel, like the simulacrum. And the reason we might think that this is an uncompleted novel is we have uncomplete resolution. There's... The resolution of Unicephalon is not really there. He's still broken down and potentially he could come back. The conflict between Fisher and Briskin and Haba and and the conflict between the media and the government, all none of this stuff is explored. Um, but there's still a lot of interesting things to talk about in these stories, particularly about politics, the media, and even folk music. So we, we have here another post-apocalyptic environment in these stories. Many people have left Earth, but there are these plans to reclaim Earth, and real estate agents play a major role, as does the media, in this efforts to reclaim Earth. Sebastian Haba's company Culture is poised to benefit from this effort. Most of the land of the world has been gobbled up by the rich few into large feudal-style holdings. When the people return to Earth to settle in these cities, they'll probably become the new nobility. Or these people who hold the land will become the new nobility. So after whatever war destroyed Earth and much of its population, formal political power has been surrendered into a giant computer. This idea is, of course, recycled from Vulcan's Hammer and The Last of the Masters. The idea that, there's a soci that society is too complex and that only a computer can make rational decisions about policy is something Dick has done before. This is the end result of the logic of technocracy, and it is a great danger in Dick's view. If those who are most capable of managing a technological society should rule, democracy... And it's dangerous because those who are most capable of managing a technological society are, can't really be the people. It's always going to be a small elite, right? Like the standby um, president in this case. 
So, and then too many of those people who believe themselves capable of managing a technological society, the Elon Musk types, democracy simply stands in the way of progress. Most people um, accept this in this society and it's taken for granted that unicephalon 40D rules. But it's only when he breaks down during this alien attack that the standby becomes president. These are appointed fingers. Nobody um, expected them to actually rule. Notice people like Jim Briskin did not oppose rule by the computer, but when an unelected man rises to power, suddenly he becomes an advocate for the people having a say in the government. Initially, at least, this does not does nothing to challenge the logic of the rule by computers. Presumably, if Unicephalon is fixed, Briskin would be perfectly content with uh, Unicephalon making the decisions again. It's only this unelected human that is the danger, this working class guy uh, appointed by the union. Now, there's a little here about the nature of rule. After only a week of ruling, the uplifted standby Max Fisher realizes that he likes having power. When the computer comes back, he regrets having to step down. Sometime after the events of standby, Fisher arranges for the destruction of the computer. The computer's return is something he greatly fears throughout the rest of the story. Even Briskin's challenge challenges the orders of Unicephalon by continuing to broadcast political messages after the computer's return. For this, he is imprisoned. The message of this is that human beings seem to want to rule or at least have control over their lives. But in this case, it's, it's, it's just between these two people, the media and, and the working class or the technocracy. Those are like the three choices we're given in the story. When any of these groups get a taste of it, they don't want to let it go. Once again, we see Dick's clear preference for human autonomy over automation. Fisher thinks at one point, in some respects, I sort of enjoyed making decisions. I mean, I was. It was different from being a stand-in or drawing unemployment. It was something. And this is how he feels in general about automation and the impact of automation on work. Perhaps this is also an expression of the will to power or just a deep desire to have control over one's life. Unfortunately for his enemies, though, he only experienced that as president. So he associated individual freedom with political control or threats to his political control. The media narrative in the story surrounds culture and Jim Briskin. Both have real political ambitions, or at least have those ambitions awakened by Unicephalon's malfunction. The idea here, perhaps, is that the media, no matter how banal it might be on the surface, has the ultimate purpose of asserting a political agenda for itself. Briskin is more conventional. He transforms himself from Jim Jam Briskin, more of a DJ type of media celebrity, into a presidential candidate, losing much of his satiric and entertaining character. And we have examples of this in real life. Al Franken before his fall, Arnold Schwarzenegger perhaps, are examples of, of media personalities who get into politics and be, end up being quite successful there. Haba is more postmodern in this regard. His media company culture is really just a tool of economic and political domination over society and therefore more perhaps familiar to us than, than kind of the celebrity who becomes a politician. This is more the, the Fox News uh, engine, I suppose. His company sells vulgarized high culture, but does so really with the goal ultimately of profiting for corporations. He hires the folk singer Raglan Park, not because of his authentic cultural value, but because of his apparent psi abilities. The culture that culture sells is geared to the lowest common denominator. The introduction of Park reveals the total politicization of culture's message to the public. Culture is like a combination of the Learning Channel, the History Channel, and Fox News. 
So if you read Dick's stories closely, by this point, you would have thought that Dick exhausted what he had to say about mutants. These stories don't add too much, perhaps, but as far as I know, this was the first time he imagined a mutant with the ability to prophecy. Raglan Park's songs come true. Unfortunately, he is a folk singer, so eventually he writes a song about his own misery and death, and that leads to his actual misery and death. It's actually surprising he hasn't written that song earlier, considering the fondness of folk music singers for songs about their own misery. But it's a very clever twist on Dick's part, and maybe there's something to this. With musicians commonly dying young as a result of lifestyles made necessary by their professions, Raglan Park's inadvertent self-destruction reminds us all of all too common death of early death of, of musicians. So, um, anyways, that that does it um, for two stories. I kind of got through them pretty quick, I suppose. Um, I guess my notes were more efficient than usual this time. Anyway, so those that's my thoughts on these two stories. Stand by, and what'll what'll we do with Raglan Park? Again, parts of what could have been a larger novel, but but never completed. But exploring themes of automation and government and posthumanism. And, but I think it's most interesting, perhaps, and what it really contributes. It adds to things that, you know, to Dick's work, you know, things he hasn't really talked about prior to this much are, are the media and the relationship between media and corporations and the media becoming just an expression either of political power or an expression of the desires of capital. So that, that does it. Um, so I'll have one more story to look at. Of the, from the stories published in 1963 before we jump into a whole bunch of novels published in 1964. I think there's four or five of them. So that story is is if there what is it? If there was no Benny Simoli will be the last story from 1962 that we'll look at and that'll be in the next episode. So if you have any of your thoughts about Stand By and what it would do with Raglan Park please leave them below and I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com but if not, I'll be back shortly with another story um, by Philip K. Dick. Thanks for listening. You must search till you find the bluebird. You will find peace and contentment forever if you're